There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 7th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The Irish Fiscal Advisory Council is warning the government that there is a serious risk of overheating the economy by using temporary revenue to finance permanent expansions and repeating the mistakes of the early 2000s. Many of us remember then when there was money to burn and the promise was that the Celtic Tiger economy was so strong that eventually there would be a soft landing but no risk of a crash. That was what we were told before the bottom fell out of the whole thing in 2008 and the Irish economy sank into the sea. Once again an Irish government is rolling in it with a massive surplus expected this year. In other words when the government balances all the money it takes in against what it spends running the country it will be left with about 10 billion euro over. Over the next three years, the surplus is to be about 65 billion euro. What do you do with all of that money is uh, the question that many are asking. Be prudent is uh, the advice from uh, the fiscal watchdog, as you've been hearing this morning. That may not bode well, though, with Fine Gael, uh, who may be tempted to buy votes uh, because undoubtedly uh, there is the temptation to look to the next election when you're looking at so much money at hand. Uh, and Fine Gael has made this proposal of putting a €1,000 back into the pockets of middle income workers uh, which I think will go down well with some but will mean nothing at all to others. The advice as we hear though is not to do that uh, because it may exceed spending limits. Let's uh, talk uh, about uh, taxes uh, and what the government should do with all of this money. Jim Clarkin is uh, the CEO of Oxfam Ireland and a very good morning to you Jim and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, the Fiscal Advisory Authority is concerned about inflation but you're probably more concerned about fairness and the distribution of wealth. Good morning Michael, thanks very much. It's always great to be on the show. Yeah, I, I, I think the the important thing here is 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 you know we, we're we, we live in amazing times that we have this extraordinary surplus of money. Um, I suppose it's it's important to recognise that it's likely not to last forever because a lot of it is coming through 
excess um, corporation tax, which we're, we we're get Ireland's getting the benefit of because of the you know our taxation system here. But that's that's changing, and globally it's changing. So there may not be those huge surpluses of of corporate tax because not all of it arguably belongs to Ireland in the first place because uh, there's tax that companies are transferring through Ireland and as a result, you know, they're paying their tax here instead of elsewhere. So that, that may well change. But I suppose more, most importantly, it's, it's how, how, how do we use this great moment, and it is a great moment for us, for, for, for Ireland, to, to have the maximum impact. So how do, we, how do we really look to fighting inequality in our own country? How do we look to address... You know, many of the structural problems we have, this insane housing crisis that we still have uh, and that, that needs to be, you know, dramatically dealt with. You know, what, what about an emergency plan around that, an emergency investment, you know, and looking at new ways to invest and looking at new, new ways to build fast. You know, we have a, a climate crisis across the globe. I'm just back from Uganda and we see the impact of climate change today, now on, on people across the world. Uh, and it's happening in Ireland, too. And we have a, a huge amount to do in that space uh, if, we're, if we're to prevent a, a climate catastrophe, both for our farming community and for the whole, for the whole country. Uh, and then how do, we, how do we ensure that we have kind of sustainable taxation into the future? And one of the things that we've been talking about is, is wealth taxes. I mean, we, we do know that there, there are over 20,000 people in Ireland that have wealth in excess of, of 5 million euros uh, which is a lot of money, and mm. then there are a lot of people, and there are others that have much, much more than that again. So how do we have a, a taxation system that's fair, that's equitable, that ensures that you know, we have the resources to invest in things, the things that we need, uh, special education needs, uh, you know, future needs of energy, all those kind of really important things that, are, that are, are vital for us into the future and vital for the next generation. Nice. And, you know, it's, we're in a great moment where we can start to think and plan about the, at those things, but certainly the short-termism, you know, is not going to help us. Yeah, and uh, the corporation taxes, uh, as uh, they're being collected, really uh, is an incredible story in itself in that the bulk of this is apparently coming from just three companies. Uh, and uh, it's an amazing amount of money. The advice from the fiscal authority is save that money, don't spend it, uh, and put it away because it won't always be there. So in other words, if you reduce taxes today, uh, that's going to cost you today, but it'll also cost you tomorrow and the day after or in the years uh, that lie ahead of us. And that money may not be there uh, and you may have to start increasing taxes, as the case may be. Uh, but it is a, a windfall tax and it is money that is available to the Irish government. Uh, would you spend this temporary revenue on temporary measures, spending uh, that would be one-off spending, uh, whether that is uh, building roads or hospitals or, or, or putting it into uh, specific projects. Well, it seems like a sensible thing to do. Look, there, there, there are things that well, I, I presume there's there's money that should be put aside for the Inverticom of the rainy day. I and mean, we had the pandemic, and we were able to to support people, you know, throughout the the workforce and so on because we had the capacity to do it. Um, there may well be other such kind of crises, global crises. We have a massive climate crisis, which we're not we're completely underinvesting in, and that's something that has to be done. Uh, we're way down on our overseas development assistance commitments. Uh, so, I mean, I know that doesn't, you know, that that's something that Ireland should be doing internationally. But at home, yeah, I mean, look, you know, how do we how do we use it uh, to the best possible impact? 
uh, you know, for those kind of longer term important infrastructure projects that that we will need and that the next generation will need. Mm. And then how do we ensure that whilst we're doing that, that we we design a tax system that that is sustainable into the future so Mm. that we know that when this huge largesse, which is amazing, is has been spent or at least it's not being repeated, that we have a tax system that provides all the kind of things that we need that people in Ireland need. Okay, and if you were to go uh, with uh, the Fine Gael proposal of uh, the thousand euro uh, back into middle income workers' pockets, uh, I think the uh, estimate is uh, that it would cost about one and a half billion euro. Uh, it would also cost one and a half billion euro to give social welfare recipients, predominantly pensioners, twenty euro a, a week. With the cost of living crisis, the argument is that those who are on relatively high incomes, up to fifty-two thousand euro. A year need twenty euro a week extra. Uh, surely the pensioners needed more than those who were on that kind of money. Well, I suppose uh, you know we, we're not going to try and advise the government on the specifics of how they how they manage the tax system. But the I suppose as long you know the, the key for us would be that it's it's done on an equitable and fair system, so that those who who need things the most are provided with them. And and to remember that oftentimes investing in services, public services is a better use of, of public resource than, than handing it back because it's public resource, that, public services that we all need and particularly people who who have less are, are more reliant on public services. So that's, you know, across the world we would say that that's usually the best, uh, the best investment of public funds is in public services. Okay, and when you talk about the environment and your trip to Uganda and uh, you can see uh, the direct impact of uh, climate change in so many parts of uh, the world. The big debate here is, uh, of course, uh, about re-wetting and there's fierce opposition to it. Uh, I think uh, for a large, uh, to a large degree, the reason for that is uh, that a lot of farmland is going to become extinct. It won't be suitable for farming if you flood it uh, and farmers will be looking for compensation uh, in order to do that. Uh, is that worth paying for for the sake of the environment? Well, look, uh, I mean, I, I really don't like the idea sometimes that farmers are being pitted against everybody else. I mean, farmers are the custodians of the environment more than the rest of us because they, every day they're, they're, they're doing lots of things that protect and, and, and enhance the environment. So we, we, you know, we do need to change our agricultural systems, but we do need to, we absolutely may, need to make sure that it's done in a fair and just way so that farmers are are. A, you know, are supported to transition into whatever happens next for them, and that's that's the vital core of this. How it's done is is down to the specifics of the different regions and and the farming groups and all the rest of it. But it's it's vital that farmers are are, are first of all fully involved in the decision making processes around this, and that they're fully uh, supported to transition. But we do need to acknowledge that change does need to come for us to be able to. You know, as it as it needs to come in transport and as it needs to come in energy, uh, in order for us to be able to transition to a, a sustainable um, environmental uh, future. Okay, and you talked about overseas development aid, the money that Ireland donates uh, to developing countries uh, across uh, the world. Uh, it is hugely important to those countries, as I'm sure you'll testify from your trips to Uganda and other corners of the world. Uh, the promise back in 2005 by the Taoiseach 
of the day Bertie O'Hearn was to much fanfare and indeed praise across the world for being so progressive. We were to increase our overseas development aid to 0.7% of Ireland's GNP by 2012. Uh, you said we're not there yet. Uh, we're nowhere near it. We're at, we're at about 04 uh, and that's only very recently. Uh, and it's, you know, during during the crash, it, it was it was decimated. Even though you see, it was it's deliberately designed as a percentage so that it can go down as your economy, you know, grows or or or, or gets small, you know, has has difficulties. So it's never it was never a specific amount of money which might have you know trapped any country in in that kind of uh, need in the future. So so we've never come anywhere near it. Um, we're 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 creeping in that direction now, and I just hope that the government will continue to, to move us and move us a bit faster in that direction. So you know, we, in the scheme of things, it's not a large percentage of, of our wealth, obviously. It makes a massive impact. I've seen the impact of Irish-funded assistance uh, just two weeks ago in Uganda. It's, it's very substantial. It's life-changing for people, life-saving in many cases. And it's an investment in the future of the planet as well. So it's, it's money well spent, and it is something that a wealthy country like Ireland can afford. But the commitment was over a decade ago, we should have been donating more or less double what we're donating today. Yeah, I mean, that's it. The commitment was all that time ago, but it was just, um, you know, for you know, it was pushed aside and it wasn't invested in for all kinds of reasons. And look, we just encouraged, mm. you know, and uh, it's, to be the credit of government in, in recent times, it's, it's gradually moving in the right direction, but it's so far behind in terms of the time span. It won't win you an election, though, will it? Faster. I mean, it's not very popular. People will say, why are we giving money to these countries yeah, uh, when we have homeless people well, here well, and we have all these other problems? Yeah, well, what I'd say is that, is that you know, it, in the scheme of things, 0.7% of our wealth isn't, a, isn't, isn't an awful lot of money. Uh, it, it, the impact that it has in other parts of the world is multiple times what it, what it has at home in some ways, if, if you know what I mean, in terms of the kind of changes that can be made in poorer parts of the world. And it is an investment in everybody's future. I mean, if it makes sense to have a world that is has less conflict. It makes sense to have a world where climate change is being addressed. It makes sense to you know to to help people to you know to develop and thrive in their own in their own countries rather than you know feeling the need to you know to be or people who are displaced and forced to, to flee. So all of these things as well as being the right thing to do or sensible things to do because it is about the future of the planet and the future of everybody on it and Ireland can well afford it. Okay, we'll leave it there, Jim. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, as always on uh, the programme today. Jim Clarkin is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Oxfam Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. The AIN2 party is calling for an investigation into the spike in homeless deaths in uh, this country. It uh, follows uh, the release of uh, documents from uh, the Department of Health uh, to the leader of the party, Padder Tobin, who's a TD for Meath West and on the line with us. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. Tell us uh, about uh, the spike in the deaths of people who are homeless in this country, if you would, please. Yeah, so we know that there's been a large increase in the number of people who are homeless in the state. So it's breached 12,000 just in the last month. Over 4,000 of those who are homeless are children. Uh, and we also know when we look at the figures over the last number of years, it has been a significant increase in the number of people who have died in homelessness. Um, and just this year so far, in the months from January to April, uh, over 20 
uh, homeless people have died in Dublin, uh, which is just shocking. And, you know, these distressing figures were given to me by the Dublin City Council on the basis of an FOI, and they dig down into further detail in relation to it. And one of the most chilling aspects of the figures are how young the people are that they're dying. So two-thirds of the people who have died in homelessness so far in Dublin were younger than myself. So um, people from the age of 49 downwards um, have been the majority of the people who are dying in homelessness. Uh, And if you look at the trends over the last number of years, they're also startling. So back in about 2018, when I started looking at these figures uh, first, uh, we had about um, we we had about forty nine deaths in twenty eighteen. Um, in twenty nineteen, it increased to fifty one deaths, and then in twenty twenty, it increased to seventy six deaths, and in twenty twenty one, increased to one hundred and fifteen deaths. Um, so I've been raising this over the last number of years. Finally, back about three years ago, we did get an investigation into what's happening in Dublin by the by the department, um, and. That investigation has indicated that the cause of these deaths are substance abuse, mental health, um, but also the fact that there is an accommodation crisis. So it specifically indicates inadequate accommodation as one of the reasons for the poverty, the lack of employment, uh, the child and adult trauma that is experienced, uh, and the mental health and drug addiction uh, elements as well. Okay, Um, but if you go back to 2018, there would have been about 4,000 homeless people in the country, if I remember correctly. Today, it's three times that number, 12,000 homeless people. Yeah, so there, there is there's a direct correlation between the number of homeless people who uh, number of people who are homeless and the number of people who are dying uh, in homelessness uh, at the moment. And you know, it's 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 very clear that homelessness is a cause of early death. Um, and you know, we we often discuss these issues in terms of you know the abstract, but behind each one of those figures, there's a human being just like you and me who has a family, who had a, had a life, who had dreams, expectations, um, and each one of those, uh, unfortunately and tragically, uh, have completely been quenched at this stage. And, and the worst thing about these figures is that they only pertain to Dublin. Now, for sure, Dublin has the biggest problem in terms of homelessness, but there's homelessness in every county in the state. And what we in aim to have been calling for over the last number of years is for the government to start collecting the information uh, throughout the state. Because if you can't measure a problem, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to manage or fix the difficulty. Um, and there are people dying of homelessness, for sure, in counties like Louth and Mead on an annual basis. Or, or suffering ill health uh, and very ill health uh, at that, whether it's physical or psychological or, or both, as the case may be. Uh, I think the biggest question of all is why is this a problem, let alone such a problem. I mean, we were just talking a few minutes ago about what will we do with €10 billion that we happen to have left over unexpectedly this year. It's an incredible thing. So, there's first of all, there's 160,000 empty houses in in the state uh, currently. Um, There's also 10 times the amount of homes that are rented on Airbnb than there is uh, on long-term lets within the state as well. And the the, the government themselves own hundreds of local authority properties that are empty. Uh, and indeed, um, there's a lot of vacant properties owned by the OPW 
properties such as former Garda stations, etc. And while the government has improved the level of grants that it provides to get some of these vacant homes back into use, it's, it's still not really shifting the dial in terms of getting these homes back into use. And for me, one of the best uses that can be made of budget surpluses is capital investment. Because there is a big argument going on that if we invest the surpluses, especially from corporation taxes, into day-to-day services and current spend, then, then we become dependent upon that spend. And if the corporation taxes are lost for whatever reason, well, then there's a hole in the, in the budget. But once off uh, capital investment, like in infrastructure and housing, is the type of investment that you don't become dependent upon and actually provides benefits for generations on the back of that. So for me, the, the most logical home for some of that surplus, at the very least, is grants to be made available to get many of those derelict homes back into use. Now, even in my own constituency, mm. in certain towns and villages that you go to, you could be on the main street of those towns and villages at, at one o'clock on a Friday and the town is empty and people are, have been commuting to Dublin, for example. But if you look at the houses along the main street, every second one of those houses uh, are often completely derelict. And to have derelict empty homes in the middle of such a serious housing crisis is pretty much like exporting food in the middle of a famine. It mm. does not make sense whatsoever. Um, and we've been calling on the government to to make sure that the level of dereliction, the level of empty homes throughout the state uh, is resolved. And to get its own house in order, first and foremost, to make sure that the hundreds of local authority houses that are boarded up are put back into use straight away. OK, but it's not just dereliction. Uh, I mean, there's a, an awful lot of houses around uh, the country that people live in uh, that wouldn't be uh, up to the standards expected. Uh, uh, for renting out. Uh, The standards are are very high uh, and must, to some degree, uh, lead to a shortage of housing being available. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that there is a a mismatch between the level of of accommodation that is there and the regulations that are in place at the moment. Um, And for anybody who has a accommodation that they want to rent out or even a room that they want to rent out and that is lower than the, 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 the regulations, logic would dictate that the state would provide some level of help, and especially in a rental situation, um, maybe a, a zero-rated loan, for but, example, but, that but would allow why? for... But why if uh, the councils don't have to meet those standards? Well, it, it, it is I a mean, strange situation, the, and to be honest... Pe- there's people living in what would be considered to be derelict housing uh, that, are, 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 uh, that is being rented out to them by their council. To be honest, there, there, there are, at this stage, uh, the council themselves are renting private property, especially for emergency accommodation, that would be below par, would be below standards, um, such as the, the pressure that's on the system. So it is the case already, in my experience, that that's happening. Um, and that's because literally people have nowhere else to go at the moment. Um, and, and, and that's the, the, the crisis that we're in. But Unfortunately, many of the levers that could resolve the housing crisis are already there, but it's the governments that have been sitting on their hands for so long that are refusing to take these decisions, especially in terms of vacant houses, especially in terms of Airbnbs. Like, the logic that we have tourists, who are in tens of thousands of tourists coming to this country, mm. and who are staying in private houses, while we have 12,000 homeless people in this country, 
and the majority of them stay, staying in the hotels. It does not make sense whatsoever. But you'd reject, re- you'd reject uh, as I think probably uh, the government parties will, the advice from the Fiscal Advisory Council uh, of staying within uh, the 5% spending rule uh, not to exceed spending uh, by 5%. Uh, and you'd take that $10 billion and use it for one-off measures, specifically housing. We'd use it fully the fully the ten billion in relation to that, and there is some logic to what IFAC are saying. And um, what IFAC are saying very clearly is that in an economy which has 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 reached its full extent in terms of employment, where there's no extra space in terms of employment, that if you poured ten billion euros onto the economy straight away, what would happen with most of that ten billion? Would it would evaporate? in a form of inflation because you would not be able to add to the staff, the worker stock to an adequate level to um, to build what the value of that 10 billion euros and, and therefore much of that money would evaporate and you would not get the housing stock out of it but you'd end up also pushing the prices up significantly. One, you, may, you may not get it anyway because one of the points they're making is, is that there's no unemployment in construction so who do you get to build the houses even if you had the money and you weren't going to uh, push inflation up? Now the, the issue here is, is, as well is the Construction Federation um, themselves have stated that many of their workers are actually working on projects over in the European Union at the moment. And if they could get projects that were of significant size, significant length of time, it would be in their own commercial interests to pull many of those workers back to Ireland to fulfil those contracts. But the problem is right now in, in this state is that we have such inflation in the housing market that many of those contracts uh, are um, they're, they're dangerous contracts for people to take on in case they're, the, the, the companies are not able to fulfil them at the prices that are set by the government. So I believe that the government needs to create contracts that take into consideration the level of inflation that exists within the construction industry to give confidence to builders to be able to focus on those projects and pull some of those, those workers back from Europe. I've been speaking to builders in Mead myself, many of them who are just not working, and it just it flummoxes me, to be honest, to think that many small builders, builders who be able to build 20 or 30 houses on an annual basis, mm. are not involved in the market at the moment at all because they say that the inflation in the housing market is not being controlled, and as a result... If they sign a contract for a delivery of 20 or 30 houses, they know by the time they're built that um, those, the prices will have gone through the roof and they won't be able to meet that contract. And as a result, will be at a loss itself. There have been housing projects in Meads currently where the builders have gone bust. And the idea that builders are going bust in the middle of a housing crisis when house prices are so dear, is just uh, incredible. Uh, we need to have a steady construction uh, market in this country where people can tender and pitch for jobs, deliver those in the certain knowledge that they'll be delivered in a fair price with a fair profit uh, for the people who are building them. Okay. Uh, unless you have that scenario, you're going to have the situation where tons of builders in Ireland are simply not building. OK, before I, I let you go, can I ask you about uh, the €25,000 fine uh, that somebody received for uh, uh, failing to pay their toll? Yeah, this is really frustrating. Again, and, and, and a lot of this information is coming from uh, FOIs and parliamentary questions that, that we're, we're putting in here uh, as well. 
Um, they're really unusual that uh, people are getting fined to such a level. Now, I'm not saying that anybody has a right to, um, to completely ignore the law and refuse to pay a toll. There's a toll there. It's the law to pay the toll, and you have to pay the toll. But what's really frustrating me here is that the, the likes of the M50 are now being seen by the state as a cash cow. The government are profiteering by the likes of the M50. So the two bridges in the M50 were built for £58 million, okay? The company that built them, the private company, took in enough tolls in each of the year that it owned the project to pay that £58 million. It then sold the tolls to the state Mm. for €600 million. Now, in nine years, the state took €1.4 billion in tolls, just in nine years, on the M50 alone. And here we are this week, and the government are putting up the toll on the M50. There's no need for a toll at all on the M50. It has been paid for by the citizens dozens of times at this, in this situation. And yes, we have the government putting up the toll in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Now, Eamon Ryan of the Greens agreed to this toll being put up. It's, it's, it does not surprise me that that has happened because the Greens want to get cars off the road. They want to make driving more difficult for people. And this is part of, of, of their policy. But for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to go along with this, it's absolutely wrong. Okay. Many of these people simply don't have an alternative in terms of public but transport. Re- regardless of the price, I think the lesson from that fine is pay your toll. Pay, like, absolutely. Like, uh, to be honest, usually when a fine gets to €25,000, there has been uh, at least a, a, a dozen chances for a person to pay the toll. And, mm. and an individual has obviously refused to do it uh, in, in each one of those cases. It, okay. It's a ridiculous amount of money for, for such a, 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 a cost of a toll. But I think the key issue here is that people are being fleeced by a, by, a, by a government in a cost of living crisis left, right and centre. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us today. Peter Tobin, leader and founder of AIM2, a TD for Meath West. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. As you know, Trim was voted the overall tidiest town for 2022. And as I'm sure you heard on LMFM's news over the weekend, the President, Michael D. Higgins, and his wife, Sabina, were in trim on Saturday to unveil a plaque in recognition of uh, the Tidy Towns Committee. They spoke to LMFM's Mark O'Driscoll. I hope drawn fall to Rave Goody on Bolyar Trim. Upstairs it was a very moving ceremony there. You could really feel the community spirit within yes. the room. I think that is definitely so. And I, I am told that this is the first big, first official event in this magnificent new facility that is so well equipped. And I, I think I, I have no doubt whatsoever it will be very, very well used. How important is a venue like this for inclusivity and that everyone, you know, in the town of Trim and the wider area of Mead, they're welcome? I know we had a shocking incident a few weeks back in Navin. And a, a place like this, I suppose, counteracts that kind of element that might be creeping into society? Well, the first thing, it isn't a matter of just creeping into society. What happened in Evan was outrageous and appalling. And I was very glad I had the opportunity of speaking to the young boy's mother. And my hope is, is that 
when he's up to it and some time in the future he and his mother will, will come to, to, to visit us and they or us and that was quite shocking and I think that the thing to do about it is to face up directly to it that it must be handled in a very direct way then I think in relation to here one of the things about having a great facility like this is that both Sabina and I know for example for being involved with the arts sector for many 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 decades if you're going ahead and you're sweeping the floor of the hall and you're fixing the chairs and all of the rest of it to be able to take the facility for granted and I know all those 30 years ago I think it was spent 132 million on venues around the country and we did an acoustic test on them in other words so that people would be able to hear properly and sometimes there's a line as well so that those of difficulty of hearing can in fact actually have no difficulty that is inclusive but the idea of having the facility there I haven't a single second of doubt that it will be very 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 used and it is a major contribution and I, I think as well that it's very important to be able to take places and communities that have a strong heritage to be able to build something that is inclusive and imaginative and there's a lot of foresight to it that you add on to that heritage but the more inclusive the more participatory it is uh, the better it is and Mrs Higgins I know the arts as your husband touched on there is very important to you you a few years back down in the Glore in Ennis you opened the one act All-Ireland finals do you think this building here could host a similar competition in years to come and Oh, well, I, I don't know if the, how, how well the Amateur Dramatic Society, but I'm sure it's very strong here, as it is every place. And I think those things make community. You know, the musicals and the pantomimes and from the young children up. I mean, it's, it's such a start for them and for getting to know each other, but also the ability you know, how they're, they're, they're at an advanced stage, actually, when they go on to take up that as a career. And the more that are doing it, the more the greats will emerge. And the others will be there for audience and delighted and better able to appreciate things. So I think it's going to be a wonderful building for, for the arts, for, for all young people being able to have the opportunity to sing, dance, play music, whatever you know no it's wonderful and the library the library libraries are second to none they are so important yeah finally president a few months back you welcomed president joe biden to the auras the night before he was up in dundalk with us we we also cover county loud did he reflect at all on the night that he had in dundalk and i suppose his relations to the cooley peninsula well i think the one thing about joe biden and in a way has it in spades is that he's so easy with people. When he came as Vice President, you know, to visit us on our Sanutron, it isn't just that we had all the formal meetings, but he met all the staff in the kitchen, and all. And he's a natural people person. And when he was, when I had a half an hour of my own with him, and that, and he was, he, he's a warm man, and he was very moved, in fact, by these these connections. He mentions them so often. These connections he has with Loud and Mayo are very real to him. They're not just something that has been discovered recently. And I think the the difficulty he has sometimes, of course, is that these visits are kept so short. He did his best, I think, to make it as as deep as he could. Oh, no, no, he's a very warm person, yes. I'm sure he'll be back at some stage in some capacity. 
Oh, well, I, uh, let us, I, I, all I can say is that the declared alternatives are uh, not ones that will make me smile. I think he will uh, know. I think, that she, I think what he has is a, he, he's for real and he's a great energy and I wish him well. The President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins, and his wife, Sabina, speaking exclusively to LMFM's Marco Driscoll. Michael Reed on LMFM. Leave no trace. Love this place is a public awareness campaign uh, that uh, will take place over the summer months. So the idea is that uh, you agree that the right thing to do is to leave wherever you visit over the summer the way you found it. Let's speak uh, to Maura Kiley of Leave No Trace Ireland. A very good morning to you, Maura. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. There's uh, uh, very few places in the world as beautiful as uh, this green little isle, Uh, but some of us don't appreciate it, quite obviously, and uh, you're reaching out to those people to try and convince them of the error of their ways. Yes, good morning. Um, We are really excited to launch this fourth uh, public awareness campaign urging everyone to, you know, get outdoors, have a great time, but to do it uh, with care and respect for our outdoor spaces. Um, Mm. So this year, the campaign has been scaled up. Uh, We're asking people to uh, love this place um, uh, by taking the love this place promise. And uh, throughout the campaign, which will be more or less on social media, there will be some radio ads as well. We'll be asking people uh, to take simple actions to respect and protect the outdoor spaces. And the campaign will provide all those simple tips that people can do. Mm. Uh, so everybody... Now, I think most people do, though, don't they? In fact, I'd say the vast majority of people uh, respect the places, uh, they enjoy the places they visit, uh, and uh, they don't leave a mark behind them. But it is amazing uh, the way a small number of people can impact so negatively on the environment. Look, I, I absolutely agree. You know, we know our research uh, from from our research that 84% of people are aware of the negative consequences that litter and waste has on wildlife and the environment. And now we know that 7 out of 10 feel personally responsible for their local environment, which is really encouraging. But, however, we also know that people are a little bit confused about what exact actions that they can take and certainly not aware of the simple things in their behaviour that can result in hugely positive benefits for the environment. Okay, so when people go to the beach, for example, do they think somebody else is going to pick up their litter after them? So when people go to the beach, what we're asking people is bring a picnic instead of a disposable barbecue and bring a bag and bring your litter home. Mm. And but do, do, do people not know that they should do that, I suppose, is my question. Uh, and again, I, I'm talking about a small number of people. I'm sure most people do take their litter home. So uh, often uh, people arrive at the beach unprepared. You know, they, they, the weather's good. Uh, they're, they're at the beach. They're in the local shop uh, by the beach. They're buying this stuff. And before they know it, they're on the beach. And they haven't necessarily thought about taking those simple steps before they go. Mm. So that's why this campaign is just about uh, being prepared and having the right information so that, you know, you're set up for success when you do go outside. Mm. I'm not even sure that's an excuse, is it? You know, if you came well, if you came without a bag, would you not get a bag or, or do something? Uh, especially uh, if uh, you've travelled by car, you'd have had something to bring your togs in or your towel with you or whatever you're sitting on. Uh, and surely you can take your rubbish with you. 
Well, look, in the heat wave, we're seeing a huge surge of visitors going into the outdoors. And many people uh, who are going outside now, uh, there's 55% of Irish people going outdoors more now than they did pre-COVID. Mm. Mm. So that's a huge that's surge great. of new visitors. Yeah. I, I, th- I, think, I think you're probably giving uh, the literal outs the benefit of the doubt, are you? Well, what we're asking people to do is all these new visitors going yeah. outside mm. for the first time, it is fantastic they're doing it for their health and well-being, but we're giving mm. them the right, clear information and advice so that we can all do our part to protect the outdoors. OK, and that feeds into one of the five premises uh, that you're asking people to take, which is to keep Ireland litter free. Uh, I suppose if somebody dumps a washing machine or a fridge up uh, the mountains, they are fully aware of what they're doing. I often think that there's something wrong with those people or they're utter gougers. Look, absolutely. It's really frustrating when we see that type of fly tipping. But the majority of people want to do the right thing. And we know that from our research that if people have uh, clear information and those simple steps when they go outside, that uh, they will be much more likely to uh, you know, change their behaviours. And that cumulatively has a huge positive impact you know, for our countryside. Mm. OK. You're asking people to protect wildlife. Yes. So um, what we're seeing uh, across the country is, uh, I mentioned, there's a lot uh, of new types of visitors going outside. And particularly when it comes to wildlife, uh, you know, people are taking, for example, in Dublin City and in Limerick City, I'm sure there's lots of parks. People are taking a lot of selfies with dogs and and they're taking a lot of selfies with wildlife, with deer. Um, We're also seeing a lot of um, people walking their dogs around ground nesting birds which is, you know, very damaging for wildlife, as well as feeding wildlife. So we're asking... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. People, to be really, really mindful, mm. take a simple steps, keep 
keep, um, you know, refrain from feeding them and keep your distance from them. Yep. So then you're not, uh, you know, you're not, uh, you know, causing any harm or mm. conflict to them. Yeah, um, we're actually uh, in Loud and Mead here, Maura, and uh, yes. I suppose somewhere in between the two counties, we've Baltray yes. Beach, and uh, a good example is to respect uh, the wardens there who are trying to protect uh, the little Terence birds uh, that nest yes. on the beach uh, and uh, as a result can be walked on or interfered with uh, by other wildlife. Uh, you're asking people to stick to the path then as well. What's the thinking behind that? Yeah, so um, uh, for example, going off track might seem so, like for walkers or hikers to be a relatively mm. innocent thing to do, but it actually has quite serious consequences for biodiversity, particularly in coastal and sand dune erosion and sensitive habitats like bogs. Particular problem now in tourism sites where there's, there's high volumes of visitors. So what we're asking people to do is very simply stick to the trail because right. you can all, you can actually protect the vegetation by sticking to those designated trails and paths. And that can have really positive, significant results for the natural environment. Even uh, just walking uh, off the path, is it uh, because, I mean, that, that is nature, is it not? Uh, I mean, we're uh, creatures ourselves, parts of the planet. Yes, um, and look, what we're asking to do is that nature is part of, of the planet equally as well. So we're asking people to just uh, enjoy nature, uh, connect with nature, but do your part to protect it and for future generations. So by sticking to the trail, that's a very simple thing we can all do. And many people wouldn't be aware of that. Okay. So, yeah, we're hoping that that's it's very simple advice that we can all do that makes, makes a really positive difference. Okay, uh, the next... Uh promise if you like is uh, to be responsible with dogs uh, this is somewhat more complicated uh, because I, I don't think uh, a lot of people understand or realise how dangerous their dogs can be when they're off the lead Yeah look it's, firstly it's wonderful to see you know through COVID so many people discovered the benefits of having a dog in terms of men, physical and you know the mental well-being and companionship that having a dog brings but you know, our message is it is so important when you're owning a dog that that comes with really important responsibilities. And that, you know, in terms of good dog management means keeping your dog on the lead in particular when in the countryside or in an environment where there are farm animals, you know, and, and vulnerable habitats as well as ground nesting birds. So, you know, we're really asking people to be mindful when you're bringing your dog out, keep him on lead or her and clean up after your dog. Dog prowling is, you know, it's unacceptable from a point of view of litter and damage, but it's also a very serious health hazard. And I think it's really important people understand we all have an important responsibility. If you bring your dog out, you have a responsibility to, to you know, uh, be a good steward of the environment mm. as well. Do you ever walk up a street and uh, there's dog dirt everywhere and you think to yourself, God, uh, the people around here must be totally irresponsible. It's quite possibly just one dog or more to the point, one owner of a a dog that isn't picking up after his pet or her pet. Uh, Because, I mean, if a dog walks up a street twice a day, it's going to leave a pile on both occasions. By the end of the week, that's 10 piles. Exactly, and that that actually often happens. You know, when one person leaves something, all of a sudden people think, "Oh, it's, it it becomes the norm to just let that happen." Um, and that's why the you know the individual actions are so important here. 
because uh, it is unacceptable to do that. And if everybody, you know, was to play their part, that wouldn't be an issue. Mm. So uh, that's a really, really important part mm. of behavioural change. That you, you shift that social norm and you say, you know, the important thing here and the right thing to do is, is to avoid that situation. Mm. Like a, a lot of uh, these other issues, it's a minority of uh, people who misbehave and it is misbehaviour, but they scoff at people uh, who claim that it's misbehaviour. Uh, look, uh, dogs are a very emotional issue um, and in particular we are seeing a lot of conflict between the public and dog owners and look, we recognise that particularly since COVID, there's a new type of dog owners. You know, dogs five, ten years ago, you know, were a different type of, you know, pet. Now dogs are coming on holidays in most instances. They're sleeping in the houses, sleeping in people's beds. And that's all fantastic to see that type of bond and whatnot. But, you know, it is a difficult issue when people, you know, it's like having a child. People take it very personally if somebody's coming up to them to say, please pick up after your, uh, pick up after your pet. So, um, you know, it can be a difficult uh, challenge and that's why we want to provide this very clear, simple information in terms of what the right thing to do here is. Okay. You know, and, and often people can be misguided by, you know, different information or being confused. And we, we know in particular, uh, you know, that's something that came from our research in regard to dog around having clear advice or information on what the right thing to do is. It might seem very very uh, logical and like common sense but actually a lot of people have been confused um, to now so that's what this campaign is all about. Okay. Uh, uh, you're also asking people to embrace the island and uh, the cultural heritage of uh, this island. Yeah, well look, you, you know, your opening was um, you know, touched on you know how incredible and privileged we are to live on this island. We have absolutely astounding landscape and we're incredibly privileged Uh, and many of our you know part of our heritage includes monuments statues and heritage and we're asking people to really you know be mindful not to take anything from those monuments home with them we're asking them not to damage them we see a lot of monuments and particular uh, outdoor spaces with graffiti so we're asking particularly young people not to engage in that and as well, in terms of our heritage, it's really important that people understand that, you know, in Ireland, we have a unique uh, landscape in regard to access to our countryside. And it's very, very important that people understand that if you're visiting rural countryside areas, you know, it's important to respect the local communities and mm. the wishes of those private landowners living in those areas. Because... Um, we are, you know, often travelling and visiting these sites at the request of the goodwill of the landowners, and we have an opportunity to ensure that we're keeping these spaces open for future generations going forward by by really respecting that okay. uh, the wish of the local landowners and the local community. All right. Well, there's no doubt, more. There's few places in the world uh, like Ireland uh, and. Uh, the World Nature Conservation Day is the 28th of July uh, and uh, in conjunction with that you're to hold a National Love This Place Day. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so well, there's, there's two uh, parts to that. We have partners with Ross Purcell 
who is incredible advocate for the outdoors in Ireland. Um, she's a huge following, particularly in the you know the youth bracket. Um, so we partnered with Ross and the Hike Life to launch the first F Love This Place Day. Now the the campaign is a joint initiative of Leave No Trace and its core members, but we have. 10 core members financially supporting the campaign with over 100 other partners across Ireland getting involved. And on the 28th of July, we are going to launch a, a whole series of events where we're getting people out into the outdoors. Um, but we're also going to be raising awareness of the simple actions that they can take and sharing it on a, on a major campaign. So that's going to be uh, really, really exciting to launch that first ever Leave No Trace Day this year. Okay, and hopefully we'll have the weather for it then too. Thank you, Maura, for joining us this morning. Maura Kiley, CEO of Leave No Trace Ireland Awareness Campaign 2023. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well done, Jerry Floyd in Drogheda. Jerry sends us an email telling us about how his wife got a text message to say that their daughter had been in an accident and the daughter's phone was broke and would you please phone this number. He said it was an 075 number. He was suspicious. He didn't ring the 075 number. He rang the daughter to find out she was out walking with her husband and felt the whole thing was a scam. I'm sure Jerry will be reading the Irish Independent today with great interest where it's reporting that there's been a huge jump in instances of fraudsters taking control of bank accounts. Charlie Weston reporting today of a 560% jump in the number of bank accounts being taken over by criminals since the pandemic. Charlie Weston is the personal finance editor with the Irish Independent and joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Charlie, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. We've all got suspicious messages. Uh, We're getting used to them, I suppose, and uh, some of us uh, are obviously getting caught out because uh, the amount of uh, these messages seems to be endless. It does, and it, it and it's probably far worse than these figures I have. These are figures from Angarda Shiakana, supplied to the Department of Justice after uh, Champagne's Pierce Doherty asked the question, and they're showing a huge increase in investment frauds, investment scams, accounts taken over by fraudsters, as you say, uh, accommodation fraud, you name it, uh, the card not present fraud. For example, the the number of accounts taken over by fraudsters, the reported uh, incidence of that is up 560%. Investment frauds up 258%. But that's probably only the tip of the iceberg, Michael, because more often than not, people won't report this stuff to the Gardaí. One, they think it's, there's no point in it, they won't get the money back, but mainly because they're probably embarrassed about it and think they've done something foolish here that they shouldn't have done, which you know, is not the approach to take. Anybody can get stung by this stuff. It's They're very convincing. They've become far more sophisticated over the years. And as you say, there's lots of them. That, that, that texter was interesting. I got one of those um, uh, texts yesterday from, I think it was an, an 085 number saying, Dad, uh, my phone is broken. Will you ring me on this number? It's a friend's number, you know. But I, I'm just too suspicious of these things. Any unsolicited texts or emails that I get, I just reject them straight away unless I think it might be genuine and then I do an independent check like I'll contact the bank or whoever's contacted me and say to them, have you Mm. guys been on to me? Never, ever. 
click into one of these uh, links if you get a text or an email and start filling in uh, d- details. Don't click the links, just delete the, the, the text. But, you know, it's, there's a, an absolute epidemic of this stuff now at the moment. Romance fraud, uh, shopping fraud, uh, deception. The, 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 the Garda National Crime Bureau people are just being deluged with people uh, reporting these things and as I say probably the numbers not reporting are even larger so um, mm. it's very difficult here you know um, the uh, the banks the the uh, internet providers the, the telecoms companies all have a responsibility to do more on this and we're not really seeing much being done uh, because too many people are being targeted by this stuff on a daily basis. And people had €45 million euros stolen from them by fraudsters in uh, the second half of 2021. That text that you got and Jerry got claiming that one of your children uh, had an accident or was in trouble of some sort really is touching a soft spot that we all have, isn't it? And that makes us vulnerable when it comes to these kinds of things. Or we've heard horror stories uh, about people not paying their toll. We were just speaking with a 2s Patter Tobin this morning who told us about somebody ending up being fined €25,000 for failing to pay a toll. Nobody wants to be in that position. So if you get a text saying you failed to pay your toll, you tend to react before you think. You do. Sometimes people are flustered and they're caught at a bad moment where there's other stuff going on and you know they might be doing two or three different things. They don't think it through and they just click on it and go, oh God, yeah, I did use the M50 the other day or I did use the whatever toll and I didn't pay it. So here's a reminder Obviously, the company is, 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 is the toll operator is sending me a message. Look at Sarah McInerney, the RTE broadcaster, was saying recently she was hit by a toll scam. The eFlow one is just around all the time. It's been around for ages, and uh, Bank of Ireland, to be fair to them in particular, have been warning about that one. Um, they're not genuine, but it is very. They are very devious. The one of you know, as you say, that one about mum or dad, mm. uh, my phone has been stolen or smashed or whatever, or I've been in an accident. That is so cunning and so devious and so underhand, and it does tend to catch a lot of people. But the person who was on to you, you the, the details you read out at the start there, that's exactly the right approach. Ring your daughter or son first if, if, if you're being targeted by this to make sure uh, that everything's okay. And then you can rest assured and you'll know it's a scam. Um, mostly I just delete these things straight away. I'm just extremely suspicious. Uh, but I often get calls from my wife, for example, saying, look, I got a, a text message from such and such. Is that genuine? Uh, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, my first reaction is it's a scam. <laughs> mm. You know, I operate up that. If that's your first reaction, uh, then you can check it later. But your your first kind of instinct should be it's probably a scam, and yeah. it probably is. Or, or or go to the source of what the problem might be. Like Jerry rang his daughter rather than the number uh, he was asked to ring or if you're told you haven't paid your toll, ring eFlow or whatever the case may yeah. be. Uh, but it's because uh, you're... If it's, a, if it's banking, go into your app if you, you mm. have online banking because that tends to be much safer. If you can get through to them, I mean, that's a problem with Revolut. You can't get through to a person, you get through to a bot. So people uh, are complaining a lot about that, uh, you know, uh, but uh, that's one of the advantages of being with the, the, the mainstream banks yeah. You usually find someone to talk to. But if you are a Revolut, go into the app and, and conduct any business or checks you need to do through the app. It tends to be much safer. Uh, uh, you know, um, and people get terribly confused. For example, mm. Revolut has been asking at the moment for people's tax number. Uh, and, and a lot of people are on to me saying, is this a scam? <clears throat> it doesn't seem right. 
but apparently that one isn't. Uh, they're, they're because they're based in Lithuania, they're required by the Lithuanian tax authorities to check out the people, to see where people are tax residents and, you know, uh, that, that, that that's just a requirement under international banking laws. Mm. But it is so hard to know. It really is so hard to know. Yeah. And if people are getting fooled by this stuff, you can't say that, you know, they're to blame. It's just, it's, cream, it's extremely sophisticated these days. And as you say, they're cunning. Uh, they know our soft spots. They know uh, the ways in which we might be vulnerable. We're worried about our children. <laughs> and you get a fright and make the call or whatever it is before you think about it. Uh, but uh, you're, uh, talking about things that we do, uh, which leaves us vulnerable, like using the toll, or did I use the toll, and getting a message like that. Uh, but uh, I suppose we're all, or most of us are, shopping online, and we've all seen these messages telling us that there's parcels that need to be collected, or you need to do something for your parcel to arrive, and that makes you vulnerable uh, as well. I, I felt terribly sorry reading the Irish Independent this morning about how people who are looking to find somewhere to rent, which is next to impossible, are being targeted as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, every, every situation where people are desperate, that, that, that there's a fraudster behind it. Uh, yeah, and that, that, those rental scams have been going for a long time where, uh, you know, if you, they, they're just going to target you. Uh, they'll try and get it before you see the property. They'll try and get some money up front off you. And then you go to look at the property and, you know, it's it's owned or it's rented out or something. It's not available for rent, basically. But they've got money off you. I mean, that happens so often. And it's terribly unfortunate. It happens with people coming into the country from other places who may not be totally familiar uh, with, with the, how this country works. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just an absolute amount of this stuff. You have to be so wary uh, about passing, passing over money and, and never give PIN numbers for bank accounts. Uh, to anyone else, I mean that's your personal one. You don't you don't put that on a text or, or, or enter it into a website you think is legitimate because it probably isn't. Mm. Um, so it, look, it is extremely difficult to, to, to stay on top of this. Yeah. Uh, but you no, know, I've, um, got, I've got maybe emails. if the banks were forced to refund people more often than not, uh, they might be you know they might be much more careful about this stuff. The problem is uh, if it's an authorized payment, if it's authorized, the banks are saying well. We can't do anything here. We, we you know, you authorised it. Uh, you know, so hard luck. You, you're at a loss for the money, mm. and people can have money just cleaned out of their bank accounts. So don't keep all your money in one bank account either. Is the other advice. You know, try and have money mm. spread around. So if you do get hacked, if you do end up being stunned by one of these things, uh, at least you know, not all your money is vulnerable. Mm. Uh, there's a, another one going around uh, as well, uh, claiming that they've uh, managed to hack it into your computer, and I've seen all of the dirty videos that you've been watching, and they're going to embarrass you publicly unless you pay so much into a, an account. Uh, I, I don't know. I got a few of them months ago. Um, yeah, yeah. They, oh, no, they, they haven't told anybody very... about my dirty videos yet. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's hundreds of those, and, and, and they're yeah. hitting you with pressure points, aren't they? Yeah. They, they, vulnerability. Mm. Uh, wherever there's a vulnerability, they're going to try and they're going to try and exploit that to get money out of it. Uh, they want to play on a likely embarrassment or your decency by you know looking after your daughter or son if you think yeah. they've uh, been mm. in an accident. So. They're, they're scheming, they're horrible, they're underhand, they're, they're dirty, um, so just be very wary, but be extremely sceptical would be my advice. Okay, thank you for that advice, invaluable advice at that, and thank you for joining us as well for that matter. Charlie Weston, personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, uh, as you probably heard yesterday, AI Ireland uh, carried out an experiment uh, between motorbikes, e-bikes, bus, uh, person running uh, and a motor car in Dublin city centre and looked at uh, the times it took to get from A to B. Let's speak to Paddy Cummin, who's head of communications with AA Ireland. Good morning, Paddy. Thanks indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, if your experiment has anything to go by, you'd be mad to drive a car in Dublin, it would seem. Yeah, it's it's looking. It certainly looked that way by the end of it. And, and look, it, it does really apply to lots of places. You know, Drogheda and Navan included in lots of cases. Maybe that it's not all, driving is not always the best solution, which might be strange for the AA to say. But uh, you know, I I, th- I think it's I think this this experiment really showed that. Now we we went set off from South William Street, right in the city centre where our offices are, and we went out to Whitehall Church where there's a park and ride facility there, and um I was the uh, walker. There was another colleague who ran, another um, colleague who drove an electric car. Then we had somebody on a on a bicycle, someone on a, a bus, and then someone on a motorbike. Now, the motorbike was uh, was number one, just but closely followed by the bicycle. Now, it was an e-bike, so yeah. it had a little yeah. bit of assistance to it. Um, but the runner was faster than the bus, which was interesting. Um, and then the car was second last followed by me not far behind the car may I add and that was mm. over seven kilometres and I was just sort of walking in the sunshine without too much uh, you were strolling into it. I was strolling um, yeah so not, mm. not too much of an effort um, to, to do that so, so like it just shows and I think it's highlights it's it's another thing as, re- as well and the fact that, that in Dublin in particular there's a really concerted effort to get us out of cars and it's it, it, rather than it being sort of a an approach that makes too much sense it's strangle the, the motorists and then sort of ha- have a half-hearted effort for the cyclists and the buses and it just means that no one is really getting a particularly nice experience even this you know the cycling in Dublin city centre and even in Drogheda or Navan or any of our, our, yeah. our regions where we are is pretty awful yeah well it, it took the car 45 minutes to make the journey it took you 55 minutes to make the journey but I, I wonder uh, how long it took to park how much it cost to park for that matter uh, and uh, was it really any quicker well if you yeah if, i mean dublin park you won't park in dublin for less than 20 euro for a day that's the, the very bare minimum some park car parks do deals like that but um but yeah it's increasingly the, the case that there's you know especially if, if you're talking about the airport at the moment where the da are encouraging people to you know get a lift um, which isn't particularly helpful because all the car parks are full. I think the exercise of this, and it's something you know I've been looking at myself, is look: are there other ways to get around? You know, is it sometimes easier to jump on a bike or jump on a on a local bus? The services are sl- getting a little bit better, and I'll say that with caution because I know there'll be lots of people throwing stuff at the at the radio because they're saying, "All right, my bus comes every three hours or doesn't come at all." But um, we are all having to look at ways we get around. Um, but it's just really showing that it doesn't matter what it is, an electric car or whatever else, um, getting in your car and crossing a city or, or a large town is getting more difficult. Mm. Uh, well, probably not surprising, uh, but, I mean, will people like the alternatives, uh, whether it's a motorbike, an e-bike, or uh, hoofing it, as we'd say? Well, I, I don't know if they will, but when we're looking at the costs increasing across the board, we had the announcement yesterday that the tolls are increasing again, which, look, is, is you know, it's maddening for people. The M50 in particular has been a mess over the decades. It's been paid for multiple, multiple times over. 
and we're still paying for it as as consumers and uh, the and all of the rest of the motorways around uh, you know the M1 etc will all go up depending on what what mode of transport you're driving mm. hauliers in particular are going to get a very rough deal from increases we know that the petrol duty is starting to has is started going back and will go back that means petrol and diesel will increase about 13 14 percent if all things stay the way they are before the end of october so but both of those measures are to get us out of the cars aren't they well well they yeah they 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 were both deferred in terms of those costs were supposed to come in earlier but uh they they are they're they're methods to get us out of cars but you know as we've always said before I'm sure there's lots of people who will readily not sit in traffic and will readily jump onto public transport if the services make sense, they're good value, and they're available. And that's probably the lesson from your experiment, uh, that the bus in uh, that journey took 29 minutes compared to the 45 minutes in the car, and overall uh, a lot less expensive uh, when you take it into account your petrol uh, maintenance and parking uh, for the car. Yeah, that's true. But there, you know, people there'll be people who will report that they don't feel safe getting on a bus, or that they don't get safe, um, safe on a Lewis or a tram, and, and in some cases because of antisocial behaviour. So, um, I think there's a little bit of work to be done to get us all to to, to try on mass public transport. But I mm. think I think people need to just start giving it a go in, in small small doses and see. Now, even if it's in there in Drogheda, for example, could you use the bus a bit more rather than trying to negotiate driving into Drogheda on a Friday evening, which is always mental? So, yeah. you know, are there ways that you could try other methods just to even give them give them a, give them a shot? And why is it mental? Uh, is it in part because of trucks avoiding the toll? I mean, there is an argument that toll increases are environmentally unfriendly because there's always an alternative, and it can lead to hauliers taking that alternative route. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Michael, because, you know, the, the the average truck now is going to pay probably about 500 more, 500 euro more per year just because of these increases. And all it takes is them to say, right, um, we're not going to use the the, the the toll roads. We're going to go into the towns and cities and, and you know, towns like Drogheda, which has had notoriously bad traffic planning, um, if you could call it even planning, um, it, you know, is, is in a situation where that could happen if we get more trucks uh, deciding that, you know, to, to go through it as a rat run. Okay, um, we have uh, Jack Chambers now as uh, the new or newish uh, Minister uh, for Transport, uh, Minister of State in Transport. Uh, he's talking about uh, finding uh, the operators Atlas of uh, the NCT tests uh, millions. Uh, do you think that's uh, surprising a- at all? Because we've been told that there's been uh, huge progress and that waiting lists are, are dropping significantly. Well, there's been huge progress, but I think you, I think we have to look back at what happened prior to that, and, and and I think it probably is you know if this does happen, it's probably sending a message to anyone coming in to to operate those. To look, this isn't going to be tolerated anymore. I think. I think the delays on the NCT, you know, they've been well documented. There's been lots of discussions on this program and like and otherwise others about uh, the difficulties that it has caused people. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think whoever comes in needs to needs to rule with an iron rod on this one. But there's, there's another part of this which which sort of doesn't get mentioned, and is the fact that people are putting off and delaying servicing their cars as a result of NCT delays, which is a separate issue. We're seeing that in the AA quite a lot. The condition of the cars that we are being called out to are getting worse, uh, and that's uh, that's a real issue because people are saying, "All right, my NCT isn't 
you know, there's lots of people who don't get a car service until they get an NCT mm. to see what's wrong with their car. And it's becoming an issue, and, and it's, a, it's becoming a worse issue when we're noticing that. Okay, and you're saving pennies but spending pounds in the long run type of thing because problems are, are building up that could have been prevented. Yeah, absolutely. This, it's false economy because, look, it's mm. safety at hand. You, you know, you're, you're, you're saving fuel if your car is serviced properly. But, look, the safety issue is the main one. And we're seeing things like, you know, really, really bad condition tyres, for example. And, uh, and, you know, we've talked about that before. Tires are you don't scrimp on tires, you know, scrimp on something else, but not tires, because it's such an important thing to have uh, the right ones on your car. All right. Uh, apart from the fact uh, of uh, so many people driving around illegally, technically illegally, because they don't have a, a valid NCT cert, uh, it's kind of farcical. Yeah, it is. But look, the, you know, the, we we know that the Gardaí will, whether they'll say it or not, will mm. will take a prudent view. On, oh, well, I hope on they would. Team. But at the same yeah. time, it is kind of farcical that you have a, a law that we just can't implement. That's why the uh, Gardaí will use discretion. Yeah, but look, there's legacy issues there. I, I think the RSA are, are trying to do their best to solve um, what is not an ideal issue, but... But look, there's lots of work to be done to get this right, and I think I think it's going to take some time, unfortunately. Okay, uh, there's to be a review of legal speed limits. Uh, we could be driving uh, at lower speeds. Uh, it seems uh, if what is forecast is to come into effect. Yeah, we could. I mean, there's a, this that we this comes up a lot where there's reviews of speed limits. You know, there's, there's often a twofold reason. There's some is is the safety element, which is the obviously the more um, obvious one, and the others for environmental reasons. If we drive a little bit slower, we tend to uh, use less fuel, and, and there's a CO2 element to that. It's just like where's the detection going to be in this? You know, because it's 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 been muted lots of times, and and in some cases you're, you you know you're driving around on on limits that are set at 30 kilometres per hour, and and uh, all of those are, all the people around you are ignoring that. So it's one of these ones that keeps coming up mm. and um, and but you know often the question is look, are they practical is it, is it easy to implement and the answer to that is often no uh, and is that the case uh, with uh, what is expected the Irish Times reporting this week uh, that this review from the Department of Transport uh, will most likely see that 50k in urban areas reduced to 30k yeah which is going to be a very very difficult thing to, to implement and, and now we are seeing changes in the technology in the cars, in particular. Like I'm driving a car today that has uh, the the speed limit warning built into it. So this car that I'm in today will nag you incessantly if you're driving 35 and a 30. And look, if that's outside a school and it's uh, it's, a, it's a safe zone, of course that makes sense. But there's often other areas where the the, the, the speed limit might not make all that much sense. So. Um, once there's sense and logic put into these, and once there's enforcement, mm. that's um, that's that's really where it starts to be a problem. There's no enforcement; it's, it's very difficult to implement. Of okay, what about this other expectation that the 100 kilometer speed limits will reduce to 80 kilometers? Uh, we've seen, you know, we've we've seen proper decent results in terms of. Um, Fuel economy and that, and, uh, mm. and by have those reductions, and, and certainly in terms of safety. But like, it's where these are going to be. You know, if, if lots of the roads that would have been set at 100 now have been set there for a good reason, 
um, uh, you know, that they're deemed safe. And, and There's not actually that many, though, is there? I mean, relative, no. re- relative to the way it was, uh, if we talk in old money, 100 kilometres an hour is 60 miles an hour, 80 kilometres an hour is 50 miles an hour. Uh, and what, there was a time not that long ago that all of uh, the rural roads were 60 miles an hour or 100 kilometres an hour. Yeah, and they were in much worse condition back then. The roads mm. have improved a lot and they're, they're, they're wider and safer. But I think probably when you look at the statistics, where people are, are having accidents are on those roads, those country roads, those secondary roads, they're at various times. You know, motorways in particular, there's very few accidents. Those are the safest in the, in, in the country. I think where there might be measures, as, as I said earlier on, is that if it comes to a situation where um, you know, they're, they're under pressure for CO2 emissions, they're under pressure because fuel is getting more expensive. We could see a situation where, like how it happened in the States years ago, that the speed limits are, are introduced in order to slow people down to save fuel and to, and to save, mm. save uh, you know, for environmental reasons. So I wouldn't rule anything out, but, you know, I, I think once we get the, the um, once we get the areas around schools, etc., safer, that's, that's a ma- major priority. And then after that, you know, just use sense when they're when they're um, making these rules. Yeah, well, I think uh, when it comes to the speed limits, uh, a lot of drivers drive to the speed limit plus ten percent, uh, and I also think uh, that when we reduce the speed limit from sixty miles an hour to fifty miles an hour on so many roads, which we did uh, in the early part of uh, the 2000s, if I remember correctly, that our driving overall improved and uh, the number of fatalities on the roads fell in line with that. Yeah, you're right. But look, I hate to labour the point, but no, these things live and die by enforcement. So if, if people do feel that they're going to, you know, if there is visibility for start in, in those areas when they introduce them and that there is, a, you know, harsh penalties for breaking those limits, you know, um, there, we will see a, a change in behaviour. Otherwise, it just won't. It'll be business as usual, unfortunately. Okay, Paddy, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us this morning. That is uh, Paddy Cummins, who's Head of Communications with AA Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you have been in touch today, thanks uh, for your message. Uh, apologies if we're late coming to the messages today. Paddy was in touch with us about litter. We were talking about the Leave No Trace Awareness campaign, leaving the place the way you found it, uh, which is something that a small minority of people fail to do. Paddy says litter with an exclamation mark. He says it's gas, Michael. When you take in to account the amount of effort involved in getting to the shops, buying all that you need for the party Uh, that's uh, the drink the bread, the cake and whatever else. Uh, You drive there or you get the bus to the beach, then you set up the barbecue eat your food, you have a great day and then you head home. After all this effort, the last bit of effort required is to clean up and bin your rubbish or bring it home with you. It's a shame, he says, that this last bit of effort is neglected. Thanks very much indeed, Paddy, for that. Uh, Maybe, just maybe, the answer to your question comes from Irene, who's in Mornington and says, there's nowhere to put the rubbish. Uh, What am I supposed to do if I go to the beach and there is no bin or the bin is full? 
what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to walk home with the rubbish? Am I supposed to bring the rubbish with me on the bus? I don't have a car. There should be better facilities for people like me so that we can put our rubbish away. Otherwise, we're left with no choice than leave it on the beach behind us. Thank you very much, Irene, for being so honest. Uh, another WhatsApp message uh, to somebody who says, what about calls saying, I had a missed call from you? Uh, I take it that's to do with uh, the scams and uh, all of these dodgy messages uh, that we get. Uh, well, I think if you don't know the number and if you didn't call the number, I'd ignore it. Um, I think that's the best thing. I, I know that I very rarely call people back if they haven't left an actual message identifying themselves if I don't know the number. If I know the number, that's a different thing, of course. But if I get a call from somebody and I don't know the number, um, quite often you'll find that they've hung up after a couple of rings um, in the hope that you'll ring back. Uh, but there's a- always the chance that it is a scam. If you're uh, uncertain at all, it's not going to do any harm if you don't call the person back, is it? If it's important and they really do want to call you, they will call you back uh, or uh, they leave a message and explain what the situation is. Uh, but I, I think you're better off just leaving that. Uh, on the subject of scams, we had another WhatsApp message about that from somebody who says the banks could stop these scams in a minute and announce that all correspondence from them will be by post and ignore all the texts after all the banks have the highest bank charges. A postage stamp wouldn't break them. Thanks indeed. Uh, I think the problem is somewhat different in uh, that you're asked to pay your toll. Uh, and when you go to pay your toll, uh, that you discover that you've clicked into a website uh, that isn't eFlow or uh, anything to do with your toll, and you're invariably going to end up being asked for bank account details. Uh, and when you give those details, you're giving them to some fraudster who's then going to access your bank and clear you out and take control of your bank. Uh, whether it's uh, the toll or whether it's um, to do with a parcel or your post or to do with a COVID vaccine or some of these issues. Uh, The advice is to call the toll company, to call the post office, to call whoever, uh, call your daughter as Jerry Floyd did, if that's uh, the case, rather than calling the number or clicking on the link that you've been asked to click on. Uh, It's not the bank who's contacting you, although you'll get messages uh, sometimes uh, from fraudsters claiming to be your bank uh, asking for such details, but it's generally not the bank um, that you're uh, being... Uh, that you're getting these messages from. It's somebody uh, asking for information from you uh, about your bank because of your unpaid toll or your post or whatever it is. Uh, Pat and Tully Allen was in touch with us as well. We were talking about uh, the 10 billion surplus and uh, that advice from the Irish Fiscal Council to the government today not to be cutting taxes and to be prudent in the way that it approaches uh, the next budget. Perhaps put a lot of that surplus away is the advice from the Fiscal Council. Pat wants to know uh, what about the USC? Should that not be reduced uh, now that we have all of this extra money? Thanks Pat for that. Uh, I suppose you could be talking about the LPT and some of the other more recently uh, introduced taxes while we're at it Uh, and I think that that is going to uh, frame much of the discussion over the coming months as we lead into October's budget and 
I'm sure there will be lots uh, of people who will be looking for increases uh, in the money that they have at their disposal, whether that's pensioners or or workers or whatever the case may be. Uh, And uh, we'll be told that there'll be plenty of projects uh, that uh, could be completed, housing being one of the biggest. uh, But as uh, the Irish Fiscal Council is advising the government today, there's full employment in construction. So how do you build houses with money uh, that you allocate to it if you don't have uh, the people in place to do the work? Anyway, there are some of the discussions that we'll be having. Thank you indeed for taking part in our discussions today and making contact with your comments. Uh, Hopefully you'll be able to do that again tomorrow. But that's our programme for today. Mackie McGuire Research. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMS. Them. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now michael at lmfm.ie. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.